Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come again as your people, Lord, to worship you and to worship your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. To thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us through him. And not only that, serving us by him. Having chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we may know you through him. And so, Lord, we say, God cannot be known outside Christ. And so we pray, Lord, for all those whom we have given to Christ, that they may come to him, that they may be headed back to Christ by your Spirit. For we are prone to wonder, and yet, Lord, we have your sure word that always brings us back to the straight paths of righteousness. We thank you, Lord, for your word that you recorded for us in the book of John. And we ask, Lord, for your teaching that we may see the things of Christ and know him and what he has done for his people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in John chapter 6 still. (laughs) But today we are going to be in verses 59 to 65. John 6, 59 to 65. And this is what the word of the Lord says. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. That's the word of the Lord. For title... This is a difficult statement. Who can hear it? (laughs) Who can hear it? And the New King James says, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? The terms of salvation are offensive. That's the point of this whole discussion. The terms of salvation are offensive terms to sinners. And so what we see in the church is that they don't know the Jesus of the Bible. 
The Jesus of the Bible is not the Jesus that many professing Christians know or have heard about. Yes, they may have grown up in church, very religious, and may still be going to church, but this Jesus of John, they have not yet had or are yet to meet with him. For no one can meet with the true Jesus and not be offended. The gospel terms have to offend a sinner or else you are not hearing the gospel. If the message is not offensive to the sinner, they are not hearing the gospel as a sinner. The gospel message has to be offensive because Jesus is God. And sinners are sinners and are self-righteous. And because of that, they hate what God has to say about the way to approach him. So when God comes and teaches sinners the truth about himself and salvation, they get offended. But God does not care. (laughs) Praise the Lord. God does not care if one gets offended or not. It is his way, as they say, or the highway. (laughs) So the Jews in our story are offended at Jesus. But why are they offended at Jesus? See, Jesus has been good to them. Jesus has fed them. And they know that Jesus has even healed some of their sick people. And you would think on the basis of that, they would at least show some love for him. For the good things that he did for them. But the testimony of scripture is that they were offended by his theology. They were offended by his theology so much that they constantly were seeking to put him to death. Seeking to eliminate him. To extinguish the light. But his light shines in the darkness. And darkness did not overcome it. Did not comprehend it as to put it out. That's the struggle. That's the point. So the Jews are upset with Jesus because Jesus has made some high claims about himself. And he said some not very nice things about themselves. And he also has taught them how salvation works. Jesus has made some very bold and very dogmatic statements about himself and claims to have his origin from heaven. And that did not amuse them. But before that, he has rebuked the Jews for following him because of the physical stuff, that is the food that he had given them. The Jews have failed 
to understand the person and work of Jesus, and so they had reduced him to some Santa Claus. They see him only as a vending machine of free goods and miss their problem. And because they miss their problem, they also miss the solution. But Jesus, as God, has made an assessment of their motives and told them that they were seeking him for the food that perishes. They were not seeking him for him, but for the things, the physical stuff that he was giving them. They were seeking him to have their bellies filled. So Jesus knows their motive of following him and says, that kind of attitude towards him is a way that ends in death. It seems right, but leads to destruction. It is working, in the words of Jesus, for food that perishes. Following Jesus for the physical things is working for food that perishes. And many professing Christians of our day have only understood Jesus and whatever they call gospel at this level. A lot of the professing Christians of our day have only understood whatever they call Jesus and whatever they call the gospel at this level of physical stuff. The level of Jesus as a vending machine, prosperity, and good health. And they too are laboring for food that perishes. So the Jews did not hear as to understand what Jesus meant when he said the food that they needed is that which he gives as a gift. But being sinners, their default setting was okay. You tell us what we need to do to get this food. You tell us what to do to get this food And by the way, can you give us this food right now? So that we don't even have to go home and cook. That's what they're thinking. (laughs) They are steeped in doing. For a sinner will never be satisfied if they don't add something. They have to add something. They have to do something. They have to throw in some paprika. Some teriyaki sauce some garlic, some onions, some peppers to the recipe of salvation. And they want to test it to see if it has been cooked to their satisfaction. But Jesus says, no, there is nothing for you to add to God's recipe of salvation. There are no works for you to do as you think. There's only one work to be done. And it is to believe in him whom he has sent. But this work is a work of God. God has to perform it in someone for them to come to Christ. And this was a hard thing. Because Jesus was saying, salvation cannot be earned by human effort, by anything that 
men do, but is only given as a gift. And how many stumble at this very simple teaching? But the Jews are not impressed with Jesus' statement. They ask Jesus to prove himself. And so they set a standard by which they were going to evaluate him. And basically, they were asking for a sign. They were asking for a sign. So they said in John 6.31, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Yes, Jesus. Our fathers ate bread for 40 years in the wilderness and if you are anything, you have to feed us every day. If you are anything like Moses or better, you have to do the deeds of Moses by feeding us, by giving us this stuff. But Jesus corrects their thinking and said, guess what? It was not Moses who gave you or your father's the manna, but it was my father who gave it and who is still giving you provision. He is still feeding you right now. And by the way, that manna was inferior bread because all those who ate it died in the wilderness. But he, Jesus, was the true bread from heaven. That gives life to the world. So Jesus puts himself at the center of life and salvation. He says, I am it. I am the only way for you to live. Manna can't save you. Anything that you do can't save you. And more barley bread and fish will not save you. Salvation is only if you eat this bread that is from heaven. Anything else that is not me, that is not this bread, only gives you temporary salvation, temporary satisfaction. And those who continue this way will perish. But Jesus is the bread from heaven. And he who eats this bread shall not hunger. So Jesus begins to qualify what this bread does, which everything else cannot do. He who eats this bread shall not hunger, and whoever believes in him shall not thirst. So the eating and the drinking is the believing in Christ Jesus. It's not eating anything. They shall not hunger. And thirst for what? For righteousness. Because all who are in this world have no righteousness. And they need righteousness. And that is their biggest problem. But the world has no means. The world has no means. And has no way to provide this righteousness. To provide this Bread, this living bread, and this water. Those who are in this world are in the wilderness of sin as the children of Israel who wandered in the wilderness of sin and died. Those who are in this wilderness 
have no life in themselves and it has to be given to them from someone who is outside from this wilderness. Someone who is from a different place than this world. So that is an important qualification of a savior. Their origin has to be outside of this wilderness. So this life has to come from someone who is from heaven. Someone who is God. Someone who is more than an angel. Someone who possesses this life in himself. Someone who is also willing to give it. And Jesus is willing to give his life to all those that the Father gave to him. But this life is not communicated biologically. This food is not given by ingestion with the mouth and digestion and assimilation into the body. This is food that is not being assimilated into the body. Like a double cheeseburger and some Abby's Kelly fries. I used to eat those Kelly fries. And a big chocolate shake. Super size. This is not a food and nutrition class. But this is a class on salvation. This is a class on how God saves sinners who are dead in trespasses and sins. Sinners who are under condemnation and the wrath of God. That's the point. But Jesus says, you do not believe. The Jews do not believe. They have seen him who is life staring at them, but won't believe. They won't believe. They can't believe because they are spiritually dead. But there's more. They won't believe because they can't believe. They have no ability to believe. To believe in Jesus is more than just making a decision. There is more that happens behind the scenes before you can come to know who Jesus is. They can't believe not because they are just stubborn. And we'll give it to them that they were stubborn. Sinners are stubborn. Otherwise, they won't be sinners. But that is not the reason why they don't believe. For we were just like them. The reason why they don't believe is because they are not his. That's the theology of Jesus. They don't believe because the father did not give them to him. So he is saying the only reason why you know Christ is only if God already gave you to Christ. Okay. So one can't believe in Jesus unless the father gave that person to Christ. So Jesus said to them in John 6.37, we are working this as our introduction for the next hour and 30 minutes, and then we'll look at the 
verses from today, the next hour. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So Jesus said to them in John 6:37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So apparently, salvation is a very specific program. Very specific plan with a known number of people who were chosen by the Father and given to Christ. So election is a very critical part or element of salvation. A lot of professing Christians deny election and when you deny election, you are denying what Jesus was saying. This is the doctrine of God. It's not the doctrine of John Calvin or anybody. This is the doctrine of God. This is the teaching of the Son of God. Some people will say sinners deny Christ because they are not exercising their free will right. But Jesus says no. The will of sinners is not self-determining and is not the ultimate reason why people refuse the gospel. The real reason is found in God and not in man. It is found in the sovereign will, power, and purpose of God. It is in predestination and election. Predestination. The only reason why you believe is because God determined from eternity to give you to Christ. And because God determined to give you to Christ, there's nothing that you can do to mess it up. You're not going to get lost. So Jesus says, no one comes to him unless the Father already chose them to come to him. So how do you know that you are saved? You know that you are saved because you have come to Christ. Not because you stopped going to this nightclub. Or not that you stopped drinking this beer. That's not. Muslims have stopped going to some nightclubs too, but they are not saved. The way that you know that you are saved is that you believe in Jesus. Because believing in Jesus is not something that ordinary sinners do by themselves. The Father gave a people to Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world and these are the ones who come to him. These are the ones who hear the gospel call. And that means the Father, not the preacher, is the one who is active in the salvation process in choosing people and bringing them to Christ. And so the reason why the Jews could not know who Jesus was and could not believe was because they did not belong to him. That was Jesus' theology. So what we can conclude from that is one belongs to Jesus not because they believe in him. Made a choice for him. 
invited him into their hearts and made him Lord and Savior. That's not the teaching of Jesus. Jesus says they believe because they already belong to him. They were given to him by the Father by his gracious choice and election. And this is theology that is consistent with the glory of God that no man may boast before him. It is consistent with a God who does all things according to his good pleasure. It is teaching that is consistent with a God who is sovereign, a God who is actually God, with a capital G, not a small g, a God who is not waiting on his creatures to make a vote for his son like Jesus is running for the White House. A God who is not in control of things that he determined is not God. A God who fails to bring all those that he gave to his son is not God. He is an idol. He is Dagon. A God who loses those that his son paid for on the cross is not God. And that's no gospel. But that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is sovereign. Which means he is in control of all things. Does whatever is good in his own sight. And does everything on his schedule. On his schedule. And his schedule is always the right time. Always. So all those that the Father gave to Christ will come. They will come. None will fail. They will all come. And the Father will draw them to his Son. And he will teach them. And those who have been taught of the Father always come to Christ. They always, without fail. No man can teach you to come to Christ. I can't. It's impossible. I can't teach you to come to Christ. It's impossible. It's never happened. Never happened. God is the one who brings you to Christ. And if you are here and you believe in Christ, there's only one reason why you believe in Christ. He brought you to Christ. I pray even today that the Lord will teach us and bring us to Christ. We need to be brought to Christ. Lord, teach me and bring me to Christ. That's something to pray for. But if you're praying for that, he has already brought you to Christ. (laughs) Because sinners who hate Christ don't pray a prayer like that. They have no interest in that. They They have no interest in that. So the Lord Jesus Christ in this discourse opens us to the chambers of heaven itself to the mind and will of God with respect to the eternal state of 
all human beings and divides them into two groups. Those that the Father gave to Christ and those that were not given to Christ. And those who are given to Christ know they belong to Christ because they come to Christ. They believe in Christ. God has them to Christ. And unbelievers are those who were not given to Christ. So they don't come to Christ. So it is God who causes one to be in Christ and it is he who causes one to believe or not to believe. And these are sovereign grace terms. These are salvation terms. And these are very scary terms. That's scary. Because Jesus is saying you're not in control of it. You are not in control of it. Nicodemus, you must be born again, but guess what? It's not up to you. These are hard sayings. Very humbling terms. And that's why the Jews say, who can hear this? <laughs> who can listen to this? But these are glorious terms. Because if you belong to Christ, it is nothing absolutely nothing to do with your will, with your choice, with your abilities to come to him or your goodness. Anyone who claims that they figured out Christ by themselves is straight out lying and is making Jesus a liar. But Jesus is the way, he is the truth and the life he gains nothing from telling lies. He is God by himself and does not need anything. There's nothing that can be added to Jesus or be subtracted from him. He is complete in himself. So Jesus teaches us that the Father willed, the Father willed, he decreed. That of all those that he gave to the Son, none should be lost. And so the Son has come that he may save all that the Father gave to him. So Jesus speaks to us here about the doctrine of definite atonement or particular redemption. He may have heard of limited atonement, even though that's kind of not the best expression, I think. Particular redemption, particular atonement may be more appropriate. But this is what we are saying for those who are not familiar with that. By particular redemption, we are asking the question, for whom did Christ come to save? For whom did Christ die on the cross? Because many say Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, of everyone who ever lived in this world. Jesus paid for all their sins. He paid for the sins of everybody in the world. But it is up to them, it is up to you, and not God to make that death work for you. It is now up to you 
to make that salvation complete by what you do or do not do. So much that even though Jesus paid for your sins, there's a good chance that you may go to hell if you don't make the right choice of Jesus. That's the teaching. Some say, Armenians, Jesus made salvation possible. But what completes salvation is you making the choice for Jesus. And the reason why someone goes to heaven, someone gets saved, and the other person goes to hell, is because the person who goes to hell, even though their sins were paid for, they did not believe. So they go to hell to pay for the sin of unbelief. Now the question that we have to ask is, so what was unbelief the most difficult sin that Christ could not pay for? Is an unbelief sin. And if Jesus died for the sins of his people, he should also have paid for all those sins, including unbelief. So the issue of whether one is saved or not is not in their belief or unbelief. That is secondary in the equation of salvation. The reason why someone believes is only in God himself. And if you belong to Christ, you will always believe you will come to him. But those who do not come to him do so because Christ never paid for their sins. Because when Christ paid for your sins, he paid for all your sins. And in paying for your sins, he also gave you the grace to repent and believe in him. And people who say Christ paid for the sins of the whole world actually are very dishonoring to Christ. Because by that they are saying Jesus suffered for the sins of people who end up in hell anyway. Because they just failed to make the decision. And that can't be true. Especially in the light of what Jesus is arguing. Jesus is saying, I have come to save my people from the world. And guess what? I am also going to raise them up at the end of the ages and bring them to myself. So according to the theology of Jesus, these Jews do not believe in him because they were not his. So the ones that he came to die for are the ones who belong to him. And the ones that belong to him always come to him. So Jesus paid the sins of very specific people in the world. Not from just among the Jews, but from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That is the understanding that we have to have of world. It's not saying everybody in the world, but it's going and pushing the boundaries from Israel to the rest of the nations of the world. So Jesus did not just die so as to put himself 
on a buffet table and keep his fingers crossed that someone who has good sense may just come and choose him, which is how the gospel is being presented. Here's the truth. Unless God the Father gave you to Christ from eternity, you are not coming to Christ. Unless Jesus paid for your sins on the cross, you are not coming to Christ. Unless you are born again according to Jesus, you are not coming to Christ. Unless the Father reveals, draws you to Christ, and teaches you about Christ, you are not coming to Christ. So, everything, all the terms of you coming to Christ are in God and not in you. So Jesus did not pay for the sins of people who would go to hell anyway. Why would God send someone to hell for sins that we paid for? That would be inconsistent with holiness. You are talking about a God who is a gangster, not the Holy One of Israel. God is holy and does not do shady deals. Okay? He does not nickel and dime Jesus on his possession. Because Jesus paid for the sins of his people that he may possess them. He purchased them by his own blood. And these he will get and bring to himself. No one ever goes to the mall and buys a dress for $1,000 and say, Oh, by the way, I don't want that. But keep the money. I'm going home. No one ever does that. If you pay for anything, you get it. And when you go shopping and you made your shopping and the cashier wants $500 and 15 cents. If you don't have 15 cents, you're going to go to the car to get the 15 cents. You are not getting out from the mall with those clothes until you have fully paid for what they want. And if Jesus actually paid for our full redemption, he is going to bring each and every one of those that he paid for. He did not make a general atonement. As people say, he did not just make salvation possible, but without really dying for any particular people. This comes, this teaching, this foolishness, comes because people want to humanize God and make him fair. And so they say, Jesus did not die for anyone in particular, but he made it available for everyone, right? But now, for it to really save you, it comes down to you, to you the sinner, and what you do or don't do with it, but not on God's election. So now they base God's election on what you do yourself with what Christ did. So they move the whole equation of salvation to you making the final decision of eternal things instead of God making the decision on eternal things. And that's why they come up with, oh, Jesus died for everybody and he made salvation possible for everybody. But guess what? It's now up to you. 
So they make salvation, the book of salvation, an open book. That you have to bring your own crayons and draw the final pictures and then close it and say it's done. <laughs> That's amazing. So then, according to this foolishness, it's foolishness. So whether one gets saved or not depends on their wisdom, upon their diligence, upon their good sense, upon their proper evaluation of the person of Christ. That is the understanding. That is the understanding. This is the understanding in the so-called churches. The free will Baptist fig leaf Baptist churches of our day. But that is not true according to Jesus. Jesus says, I came to secure the life of all those that the Father gave to him and to make sure that he will lose nothing. John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of eternal security. It is the gospel of preservation. All those that the Father gave to him will be kept and will be saved and will endure to the end and he will raise them up at the end of the ages. So a gospel that denies eternal security. We've been saying this in the past few weeks. A gospel that denies eternal security is not a gospel. <laughs> it's just not a gospel. And it's against what Jesus taught. It's against what Jesus taught because Jesus claimed to give eternal life to all those that the Father gave to him. So if you have eternal life, how are you going to get lost? Impossible. So all those that believe have eternal life, they possess it as of right now. See? As of right now. So faith in Jesus. We're going to talk about faith a little bit. Faith in Jesus, because Jesus is talking about believing in him. Faith in Jesus is given to communicate to the elect person that they possess life in Christ. Because we are working things from the eternal counsel of God and bringing them to ourselves. We are trying to understand how these different pieces come together because, you see, if God has given you to Christ from eternity, how do you know that you were given to him? He gives faith. He gives faith. So faith in Christ is given to communicate to the elect person that they possess life in Christ. That God chose them in Christ before the foundation of the world. This is the content of a faith of one who is saved. It is not believing in God for a car <laughs> or a house or for good kids. Faith is for the communication of the knowledge of one's position and relation to Christ. It is God telling the elect sinner that they were given to Christ before the foundation of the world 
and that Jesus accomplished their salvation. That's the purpose of faith. It's not empty faith. It is quantum. And that those who were given to Christ, those who were given to Christ, do not get offended for being given to Christ. Did you see what Jesus is saying there? Because the Jews are offended at Jesus. And Jesus says, you are offended at me because you don't belong to me. If you belong to me, you would not be offended by me. You would not be offended by the doctrine of election. You would not be offended by God's sovereignty. Because God makes you love the doctrines of Christ. So those who were given to Christ don't find the doctrines of God objectionable because they are taught of God to receive the things of Christ. And so Jesus would say, as it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. God teaches all that he gave to his son. He teaches them about their identity in Christ and about the identity of the person of Christ and about the work of Christ. Who do men say that I am? And But who do you say that I am? And that understanding only comes from God. It's God the Father who is teaching. He teaches them that Jesus Christ is God and sinless man who was given as the bread of life, the bread of God, the true bread, the true drink, for the sake of the salvation. God the Father teaches these by granting them a new birth, by quickening them to life, and granting them faith and repentance. You see, you can't say you're preaching the things of God without preaching the new birth. It's impossible. And yet many don't even believe in it who profess to be Christians. They don't teach it. So faith and repentance are gifts from God. And so they do not add to one's own salvation. When you repent and believe in Christ, you are not adding to your salvation because those are gifts from God. Turning away from sin is included in repenting to Christ. Because the biggest sin is not what you were doing. The biggest sin is not to believe the gospel. You see that? The biggest sin that you ever commit is to reject Christ. That's the biggest sin. So when you have come to Christ, you have repented from your biggest sin. So faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. They always happen together. Medical terms, they would say they are Siamese twins, right? Conjoined to the heart. They always come together. You can't remove the one and still retain the other. So the father teaches and he draws all that he gave to the son and shows them Christ. So salvation is knowledge. Knowledge because God is the teacher. 
and God can't teach you and leave you ignorant. Repentance and faith have knowledge to them. It's not just stopping doing things. It's about what you know now that you didn't know about God and Christ. Knowledge about yourself. That you are under condemnation unless you run to Christ. You are given knowledge that you did not have before. And based on that knowledge, you turn away from your previous system or body of knowledge and turn to God and turn to Christ for everything. And that is a very big shift. And only God can do that. And only God can do that. And Jesus says, but the source of all these spiritual blessings is in the flesh of Christ. One has to eat his flesh if he has to live and not die. They have to eat his flesh, that is, lay hold of him as the crucified Savior on the cross. They have to believe in Jesus and his work on the cross. Jesus has come this way to perform the ultimate work that would be the basis of your life, the basis of the forgiveness of sins. For none can have life until their sins have been forgiven. And sins can only be forgiven one way, one way by the death of this one. Who is from heaven? Who is God? And who is sinless man? That is the only way that sins will be forgiven. So the cross is the fountain from which life flows and sinners appropriate this life to themselves by faith. The cross, the cross, the cross is just too important. The cross is the pinnacle, is the central work of Christ in salvation, is the biggest work in God's work. It was not the first creation that is the biggest work. There's only one work that is celebrated on earth and on heaven, and it is the cross of Christ. That is the biggest work that God ever did, punishing his own son to save a people, you and I. If any who name the name of Christ do not preach the cross and do not hear, do not want to hear about the cross, then they have nothing of Christ. They may have a big church and they may be very nice people, but salvation requires more than being nice. Salvation, Crystal, requires the tree of shame. We are talking about trees. It requires the eating of fruit, hanging not in the Garden of Eden, which brought condemnation, but fruit that is hanging on this other tree, this accursed tree, which brings life and justification. Jesus Christ is the fruit that hangs on this tree. 
that gives life. And Jesus will say, unless you eat of this flesh that is hanging on this tree, you have no life in yourself. They will die in the wilderness, those who do not eat the flesh of Christ. They will die in this place of graves. I always say, the graveyards and the cemeteries that you see are the ultimate commentary about the lack of life on earth. No life in the wilderness. And the graves that you see are the theological commentary of what this world has to give. And after everything said and done, you can be as beautiful as pretty, and be as rich and as powerful and as whatever you can say. The ultimate commentary is you go to the place of the dead. Okay? But there's a way out of it. It's by eating this fruit, this flesh that hangs on this accursed tree. And so, when Jesus was saying that, he was saying he has to die. When he was talking about his flesh, he was saying he has to die and resurrect. So in John 12, 24, he said, just before he was getting ready to go on the cross, he said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So for there to be much grain requires death. For there to be fruit requires death. Even in agriculture, they know that. You have to plant the seed into the ground. It dies for a week or so. It rises and then it grows and bears more fruit. And Jesus says, even agriculture was done that way to preach Christ. That's how serious God is with his own son. Everything in this universe preaches Christ. If God will teach us. So Jesus summarizes all this teaching by saying in John 6, 53 to 56, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And this greatly offended them. These are Jews who are strictly forbidden by the law from eating human flesh or the flesh of unclean animals, let alone a human being and drinking human blood. So according to them, Jesus is insane. Jesus has lost his mind to suggest to them that they should drink his blood and eat his flesh. So they said, this is a hard thing. Who can hear it? Who can listen to this nonsense? They almost want to shut their ears. No, Jesus, we can't hear that. But that's exactly 
what all sinners do when they hear the truth about how God saves sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ is offensive to the sensibilities of sinners. Sinners think that they exist because God loves them and he is not going to judge them and he is so desperate for them to be with him because he's love. After all, God is love. They will not bear or stand to hear the real terms of how sinners actually get saved. And all the variations of the teaching on salvation that we find in the church is because men are trying to make Jesus more attractive. They are trying to make a softer Jesus, a meek and mild Jesus. The Jesus who is my boyfriend, my co-pilot. And when they hear of grace alone, they say, no, 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 we can't hear that. Who can understand that? That is a hard saying. It is impossible that one should be saved by grace alone. What about my works? What about my contribution? What about my responsibility? No. Jesus, your works are not enough for my salvation. There has to be somewhere, Jesus, where I can contribute. Even if it means I go and finish the payment of my own sins in purgatory, Jesus, that's what I'm going to do. But it can't be that you set me 100% on the cross. No, Jesus, you are taking all the honor to yourself. We got to share this thing. We are in this thing together, Jesus. <laughs> and this is how many are stumbling at the cross. They don't understand the terms of salvation, the terms of grace. They don't understand about the glory of God and how it cannot be shared with any other. They don't understand that salvation is a work of God's glory. That's the reason of salvation. The salvation of sinners is not about the plight of sinners. We have to get this right. The salvation of sinners is not because God looks at sinners and says, Oh, miserable creatures. The salvation of sinners is driven 100% by the glory of God in Christ. We have to understand that. We have to understand that if we have to preach and believe the true gospel. Men don't realize that salvation is impossible to be done by sinners. They don't realize who they are, that they are dead in trespasses and sins. They don't realize that God is holy. And the law is holy and impossible to be satisfied by the obedience of sinners. And so the Lord says to all, and even to the Jews, do you take offense at all of this? You are saying this to the people that John the Baptist had sent when he was in prison and about to be beheaded by Herod. He says, do you take offense at all of this? Is there anything that I have discussed that offends your sensibilities? That's what Jesus says. 
Jesus says, if you are offended by any of it, you are not one of his. But then he says in Matthew eleven six, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. So it's a blessing for you not to be offended by the gospel terms. The Greek word that is translated offend is skandalize. S-C-A-N-D-A-L-E-Z-E-I. And Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.23 and said, using a derivation of that word, and said the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews, and he used the Greek word, Scandalon, S-K-A-N-D-A-L-O-N. And you can see that this is the word that migrated to English as scandalous. So the gospel is scandalous. It is a scandal to freely justify sinners who deserve to die. That's why it's a scandal. That's why it's unbelievable. It's a scandal. And Jesus says, if all that I said offends you, and if you think it is a scandal to eat my flesh and drink my blood, let me offend you some more. <laughs> let me give you something to be mad about. And so he said in John six sixty two, What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? So that adds to the scandal. So he introduces his own resurrection and ascension back to heaven because he talked about his flesh, which means the cross. And now he says, wait till you see the Son of Man go back to where he was before. I am going to die and I'm going to resurrect and I'm going to go back to heaven where I came from, the very place that you don't think I came from. Okay, And he adds to the scandal, to the offense, and he says, <laughs> the flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So Jesus removes everything that you ever do for salvation and says everything that you can ever contribute Nothing, zero, it doesn't count for anything. Profits nothing. Zero, stop trying. So the Son of Man says, I am going back to heaven in glorification after I have accomplished my work of salvation. But it is this work that gives the Spirit. And when I ascend, I will give the Holy Spirit that He may impart my life to my lifeless people. It is the spirit of God. Who gives life. There is nothing that you do in yourself. To get life. The flesh profits. Absolutely nothing. When it comes to salvation. There is nothing that a sinner. Can do to end salvation. Or help salvation. Or maintain salvation. Without the Holy Spirit. Nothing. And yet look at how sinners. Are so busy. Behaving like they can reach heaven with their ladders from Home Depot. See how sinners 
are causing other people to stumble because of fleshly ideas or disguised to promise life to themselves, their friends, their families, their children. Many movements have arisen in the church that promise formulas to give life to us and our children but are not the cross. And it is only because of the scandal of the cross. People are trying to minimize the scandal of the cross by doing things themselves. God does not get obligated to anyone. Rather, he obligates himself to someone only because of Christ. God's obligation is to Christ. And if you are in Christ, he is obligated to you because of his son. And because of his son, you will not be lost. You will not be lost. He will get our children just the way that he got us. We were not in the front pews when God came for us. <laughs> we were sinners. <laughs> I don't know about you. <laughs> I was going to Tashish. <laughs> but praise be to God. He brought me back. If he brought you to Christ. He'll get them. They're not running anywhere. It may look like. They are going to run. But he'll catch them. And bring them to himself. There's no proven human formula. To God. There's no one who has any book. That can give you salvation. There's no human formula. To God. No human formula. To salvation. The formula of salvation. Is only in Christ Jesus. The formula of salvation. Is in God's will. And purpose. In Christ Jesus. That is the driver of all of God's works. And the words that Jesus spoke are the words of life. This theology is what leads one to life. And these are the words of the Spirit of God who is in Christ. And it is the life of God in Him that has been given to us. And if we believe in Christ, this is the life that God has given to us. But Jesus said, verses 64 and 65, and those will be our last verses, I believe, from today. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So the Lord said, there are some of you who do not believe. So basically that was him revisiting his earlier statement in John 6, 36 and 37 where he said, but I say to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So there is quite a number of people there who do not believe. 
And in that statement, John adds to his theme about Jesus being God and being omniscient, being all-knowing, and says, for he knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. He knew them even without talking to them. He knew that this is an unbeliever. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He knew he didn't need to do an interview. Are you a believer? Okay, next sister, are you a believer? No. He knew from the beginning those who were unbelievers. So Jesus already knew who were his people. And he also knew who it is who was going to betray him. Judas Iscariot was going to betray him to death. And the reason, according to Jesus, was because he was not given to him by the Father to save. And we are going to close this working on the theology of Judas. Because it's a necessary understanding in the context of everything that we have learned. And everything that Jesus is teaching. Because Jesus is getting ready to close his discussion on this. We are getting to the end of this chapter. So Jesus is closing and applying that understanding in the context of Judas. So according to Jesus, Judas was going to betray him to death. And Judas was not going to be saved because the father had not given him to Christ. And so those who say Judas could have been saved if he had just repented are playing. They are playing with repentance. They don't understand that salvation is a sovereign work of God. They don't get it. Judas was not raised to be saved. Sister Dassel, you were raised to be saved. That's the only reason why. You were not raised to be married to him. You were raised to salvation. Judas was raised to be condemned in the betrayal of Jesus for the sake of your salvation. That's sovereignty. That's sovereignty. Listen to this. Romans 9, 14, 18. What shall we say then? Because a lot of people who argue and try to say, okay, that can't be right. <laughs> What shall we say then? Romans 9, 14 to 18. Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion or effort, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may do what? That I may show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Wasn't Judas raised for the name of Christ to be proclaimed in all the earth? That's exactly what is happening. So then, he has mercy on wh whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. 
So Judas could not repent because he was raised to be the instrument of betraying Christ Jesus that you and I may be saved. But this is a hard thing. No, this is a hard thing. But that is saying, if God so determined, you could have been the Judas. And there was nothing that you could do about it. You would have been born then. You would have been chosen by Christ. You would have made sure you come. You would make sure that you, you would betray him. So when we talk about sovereign election, you really have to get afraid, like I said, because these are hard terms. But if you are on the other good side, <laughs> praise God. Praise God. Praise God that he chose you to salvation. The doctrine of election has to get your heart skipping not one bit, five bits, maybe ten bits. Because if you contemplate what that actually means, it's very scary. It's very scary. So Judas could not repent because repentance is only for those that the Father already gave to Christ. The Father already determined it that way. And so Jesus, before his death, would say in Luke twenty-two, twenty-two, And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. Determined by who? By Judas? No. Determined by God. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Oh, but it's been determined, so why woe to the man? A sovereignty. Judas is made responsible for something that God determined for him to do. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God of the Bible. So Judas could not repent because Jesus was not appointed to be a high priest and intercessor for him. Got to hear that. This is very important theology. Jesus was not appointed to be the high priest for Judas because you need a high priest. That's the biggest problem that all sinners have. They don't have a high priest. If you are given to Christ, you have a high priest. Judas did not have a high priest to intercede for him, to pray for him, to pray for his recovery. Because if God had determined to save Judas, then Judas would have been saved. Judas would have been granted repentance. Judas would not have hung himself. Judas would have come back to Christ. Would have come back to Christ. But this is where we are. Jesus only prayed for Simon Peter and the other ten. Jesus said, before the crucifixion, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have done what? I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Wasn't Judas sifted by the devil? He was sifted. And his faith failed. And he betrayed Christ. His faith failed as to betray Christ to death because Christ did not pray for him. <laughs> Simon and the brethren also denied Jesus 
but were recovered. Right? But Judas was not. And that is a hard saying. That is a hard saying. This is sovereign grace theology. That's God's sovereignty. So Peter returned to Christ because he was given to Christ by the Father. And not only that, because his high priest, Jesus, had interceded for him and he had interceded for the other ten disciples because the Father gave them to Christ. And so you too, you too only came to Christ because of the intercession of the Son of God. John 17. And that's the reason why your faith is not failing. And that's the reason why you're going to make it all the way. It's because the Son of God already made intercession for you. And that's why he prayed and said in John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me. You see, Jesus is still talking about those that the Father gave him. May be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. You see that? So with that understanding... Jesus would say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. No one. So Judas, Judas, no one can come to me. Because Judas is among this group. Unless the Father grants it. So coming to Christ is believing in Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. He's believing in Christ. This has to be granted by the Father if anyone has to be saved. But this is not what is being taught in our churches. Many are making it about human will and free decision and free will. They will make it about the character of Judas. And say, okay, Judas could have exercised his free will because God gave us a free will. (laughs) Jesus never talked anything about free will here. And yet he was talking about salvation. Judas was not different from anybody as a sinner. We have to get that right. Judas was not different from anybody as a sinner. The reason why Judas was lost was because according to Jesus, he was the son of perdition. Which means one who was destined, appointed to destruction. And Jesus never said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. That's Jesus. One destined to go to hell. And that is some serious teaching. That is some serious theology that many downplay so as to exalt human will and decision. Instead of exalting this one who says these things. Exalt this son of God who has the right to give life or to destroy it. Remember Matthew, the text collector. He was a thief. Right? If, if you're a text collector, Brother Good has been teaching about that. It matters. Matthew, the text collector, text collectors were thieves. They were rich guys. <laughs> As you'd expect. If I'm a text collector, I got to be rich. 
<laughs> I got to get some extra money from Crystal. <laughs> if you're a tax collector, you have to be rich. So Matthew was also a thief. But a lot of people say, oh, look at Judas. He was a thief. That's why he was condemned. Right? And he didn't repent. He could have just repented and things would have been okay with him and Jesus. No, that's not true. Judas was condemned because he did not belong to the fold that was given to Jesus by the Father. The fold of those chosen according to the election of grace. For to understand otherwise is to render the words of Jesus false and useless. And my dear brothers and sisters, these are the terms of grace. That's why John Newton sang and said, Amazing grace. It taught my heart to fear. Because this is what causes your heart to be afraid. But it also teaches your heart to love Christ. These are hard words. Who can hear them? But this is how you and I were saved. And there's no other way. But sovereign grace, salvation, in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm done. Praise the Lord. I hope we learn a lot of things. Yeah, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again. Lord, we worship you and thank you for your word. Even though these are hard words. And we would also say, this is a hard saying, who can hear this? Who can listen to this? Who can understand it? And yet, by your spirit, you have caused us to hear it. You have caused us to marvel in these things, to love the things of Christ. And Lord, it was not by our doing. Lord, we are just thankful for your grace of salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you were pleased to give us to Christ and that Christ was pleased to redeem us. For outside Christ, we are hopeless. But we thank you, Lord, that you were pleased in your son and you loved your son and you gave us to your son that we may be saved and be holy and blameless before you. And Lord, we are thankful for these saints that you gathered here today. And you know where they are, Lord, as we always pray. But we ask for your grace to abound towards them in their own struggles, in their needs, and all their fears. Lord, may you cause them to be anchored to Christ. May you remind them of the amazing grace of Jesus, that they may be encouraged. For if no man can be encouraged by the cross, there's nothing that can encourage them. For the cross is the only hope of life. Our Lord, we pray for Jenny, who was not able to make it today, that you may grant her grace, even Lord, the time to sit down and listen and grant her understanding of what we learned today. And Lord, we pray for the days ahead of us that you keep us and protect us and may you keep the testimony of Christ in us. We pray and thank you for the blessing of food, the blessing of all things, of family and friends. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.